Hey, it's Annie here. We're working hard on some fresh new ag stories for the podcast. And so while some of you are waiting for your crops to grow over the cooler months, we've got some best of Beyond the Farmgate episodes to keep you entertained. This is one of them. Enjoy. This is Beyond the Farm Gate, a show where we shine a light on great Australian stories in agriculture. On the show, you'll hear from farmers who've survived challenges like fire, flood and drought, farmers who run innovative and unique agribusinesses, and farmers who are balancing work and family in rural Australia. You'll be inspired hearing their stories and pick up some insights along the way. I'm your host, Annie Herbert. Today, I'm chatting with Ollie Lalive. Ollie is the founder and storyteller at Humans of Agriculture podcast. And given he describes himself as an agricultural enthusiast, it might surprise you that Ollie didn't grow up on a farm, but rather among the hustle and bustle of Sydney. In this episode, you'll hear about what ignited Ollie's passion for agriculture, how he pursued a career in the industry as a city kid, and how he's strengthening the connection between food and fibre and the broader community through Humans of Agriculture. Let's jump in. Hey, Ollie, thanks for joining me today on Beyond the Farm Gate. It's great to chat to another podcaster. It's awesome to be here, Annie. I'm looking forward to it. So you travel around a fair bit, but where are you coming to us from today? Today, I'm just in between Texas, but on the New South Wales side and, and Bonshore. So northern New South Wales, I've been camped up here for a couple of weeks at a mate's property. And so, yeah, doing a little bit of sheep work after hours and the day job during business hours. So it's been quite a good mix, actually. Yeah, awesome. We might hear some very authentic farm sounds in the background today. Yeah, this week, they're not <laughs> tailored. <laughs> so to kick us off, how about you tell us about where your connection to agriculture first began? So for me, on dad's side, grandfather had a property and grew up on a property and then kind of ag skipped a generation because it was the same on mum's side. And then holidays were spent down at mum's sister's property in Western Victoria and kind of from a young age started to, yeah, holidays were at the farm and kind of by the age of 12, when Avalon Airport opened up just near Geelong, I was getting escorted through the airport in Sydney by <laughs> mum and then met at the other end by my uncle and kind of coming back the other way as a 12-year-old looked after by air hostesses. So I guess in a sense, I felt like nearly a border where I'd spend the school term in Sydney with my brothers and two sisters, mum and dad. And then when the holidays rolled around, I got to go and do all the fun things that would happen on the farm. Sounds like an awesome childhood and one that probably many people would be very jealous of. Yeah, I think it, it's been interesting looking at the work I'm doing and kind of, I think, where the real passion comes from in trying to connect people to agriculture. It was really from those early years, you could see that people really didn't understand what farming was or, or what agriculture was and kind of whether it was careers advisors at school and it was people looking at me do, going and doing an ag economics degree or an agribusiness degree and going, well, what is the future in agriculture? Is it not just farming? And so I guess that's probably like a question which really motivates me these days is how do we show that agriculture is so much more than just farming? And inside the farm gate, there's a whole lot of important things that happen. And then kind of beyond that, the farm gate and through the supply chain, there's a lot of people who are influencing and playing a really critical role in how food and fiber is produced, moved and consumed. I'm really excited to chat to you about that today because I know that's something you're really passionate about. But before we get there, when you then finished school and you said to your parents, 
I'm actually going to go and pursue agriculture. Were they surprised or was it no surprise to them? I don't think so. It's actually probably a question I should ask mum and dad now. Like we're a decade later, but probably more surprised, I think, by the time I was probably midway through year 12 in 2010, myself and another guy who lived only like in the same suburb of Sydney, we'd organised to go jackarooing at a property down near Harden. So probably not. I think, yeah, throughout school it was always there, but I think if you were to say, looking at the way my career's gone, I don't think anyone, even with a crystal ball, would be able to yeah, say, here's how you're going to go and be involved in agriculture and this is what your career will look like kind of in the first 10 years post-school. So I kind of, as I think about it, I probably can't really believe all the different things I've done and, and seen, but I wouldn't change any of it. Was there a distinct moment where you knew that that was the direction you wanted to head in or you know, why ag? What attracted you to it? My earliest memories in agriculture was definitely like in the shearing shed and one which was pretty funny was my like my cousin, he's probably 20 odd years older than me and he used to come around like the side of the shearing shed and he'd, he'd put the quad bike up on two wheels and he'd, he was a bit of a show off and so I thought... <laughs> My cousin Albie was a bit of an idol growing up and I wanted to be like him. And I guess, yeah, agriculture was kind of, it was on TV through people like Troy Dan. And kind of as I got towards the age of, of 12 years old, I was down at my uncle's farm or, and cousin Alistair was working there full time. And a guy, Dave Kinnimont, came across and as you do, I guess, call in. And he offered me my first kind of chance for a paid role in ag. And I think it might've been a, a weekend of work and I might've got 50 bucks for it, but kind of Dave, even today is still a real mentor and kind of that first person who gave me a shot in ag and, and showed me that, yeah, there's a bunch of people that are willing to back you. Even if you're from Sydney, there's a lot of amazing people in agriculture and, and everyone kind of has a vested interest in seeing other people succeed. And that's something that has maybe guided your career. I don't know if that's the right word, but is really strong leaders and you touched on the different roles that you've had. Can you talk us through what they were and, and the different people that have played a role in those? I've been quite critical of people in leadership maybe where maybe my expectations have been out of balance and that's something which I really want to understand. But in terms of people and jobs that have really influenced me, I've got to try and think of the different jobs I've done. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it's an impressive resume. So <laughs> I understand why you might struggle to recall them all. Yeah, Probably like from Jackarooing, it was just working alongside other people who, yeah, whether it was the livestock overseers or the croppers, like that, there's people there who I could still walk down the streets in Cootamundra and kind of pick up the conversations like we, we, we just caught up yesterday and it's kind of been 10 years. Then I think as I started to go through university and get access to, there's a couple of lecturers at Marcus Oldham, David Cornish in particular, who is a, a real role model. He's a such a funny bloke. He's got a good sense of humor, but I think he's great. <laughs> he is. I think he really was an awesome sounding board when it came to thinking about careers and jobs. And I, straight out of Marcus, that first job I had, which was exporting asparagus, I kind of went in thinking like, and probably blindsided by the possibilities of what it could be, but going down that fresh produce trading path, uh, you got to go and see the world and travel. It was very exciting. And I guess I had that kind of dream job that I was going to become a trader in three years time but I was going to work my way through kind of the logistics of it understand the warehousing piece and then there's that lure of of the golden ticket which was kind of money and I think probably the best learning I had from 
from my very first job was that, yeah, kind of <laughs> to, to balance your expectations. And so I think that came from people who I worked with and there was definitely people who I, who I wanted to be like and then probably people who I, yeah, there's parts of who they were which I really liked. But probably the big thing which has followed me, and this is a very waffly answer, has been that looking for people who, who work with purpose. And I guess from that very first job, it kind of became really evident that the paycheck in the grand scheme of things wasn't really that important. And I guess that's something I've taken through every role that I've had. And, and I guess I've, to your point, I've had a few, so started off exporting fresh produce and then went back on the farm for a little while, got to manage a property or I guess oversee a property to the point of sale down in just west of Geelong, which was really cool. And then got the chance to jump across into an ag tech startup kind of in its real infancy and got involved in the provenance and traceability of red meat in the supply chain and the digitization of the documents. So that was awesome, but there's probably startups are an interesting place and and I think they really form you as a person. You learn a heck of a lot, you see a lot. And I think to that point as well, it kind of comes back to, well, what's the motivator behind the people that I want to work with and alongside? And that's something which I guess as I've got older and I'm (laughs) I'm only still in my 20s, so I'm very young, but that's something which I really seek out for is, yeah, kind of what's the bigger picture and what's the impact that the person or the business wants to have and how can I see that really aligning with who I want to be and where I am at that point in time. So when we talk about learnings and and coming out of school and, and starting in those roles, other than what you did learn at Marcus Oldham in the core knowledge, were there any skills that you needed when you entered the industry that really surprised you? Look, Marcus was my second shot at uni. So I, I did 18 months at Sydney Uni and, yeah, kind of not quite got shown the door, but I was pretty well close to it. And then moving to Marcus and actually getting exposure to people and businesses kind of really opened my eyes to the different possibilities and opportunities that there were. The skills, I think, which, and and Marcus was really good at this, was to complete your bachelor degree, you actually came back for one to two week intensives at different times of the year. So you're actually working in real life. And I guess, yeah, it's been the people skills, which I don't think you can learn in a textbook or in any other way. We did classes in negotiation and people management and human resources, which was good to to understand some case studies of how things might work. But I think if you look at my that very first job I had uh, in the horticulture industry, and we had an issue there where uh, around labor hire, which actually was really confronting, that very first job opened my eyes to what what management looks like in a crisis situation. And I guess, yeah, I was, I was really interested in how people presented themselves and also looked out for for their people, I guess, yeah, to, to put a bit of context behind that. When that event happened on that hort farm, which was actually the police came in to check on just basically the eligibility of people, of visas and workers, nothing can prepare you for what that's like. And I guess what I learned from that was that the biggest thing I wanted in those, or definitely the day after and probably the couple of days after was just someone to be like, hey, mate, I just want to tell you that this is definitely not <laughs> a normal normal thing that happens in work, but we just want to check that you're okay. And that probably didn't happen. And so I think, yeah, I'd say for me now managing people both at Auctions Plus, but also with Humans of Agriculture now having, having one person come in, like I just want to work with people where I 
yes, they do extraordinary work, but kind of come at it from a personal level where I actually care about who they are and what they want to do. And and I don't think any textbook's going to kind of teach you that. Definitely not. And I think it's the same with any degree or formal training. You You really don't learn that side of things until you get into the role and get your hands dirty and start having some really good times, but also some really challenging times as well. On the people side of things, I'm curious to know when you did first enter the industry and maybe those first few roles, how did you feel people reacted when they found out that you weren't originally off a farm, that you were a city kid? Did you feel accepted by the industry? Jeez, I reckon if you could see my smile behind uh, <laughs> behind the camera right now. <laughs> it's funny because it's one of those ones which, yeah, I kind of didn't want to, when people would ask you, which is such one of the first questions you get asked in an ag circle or, or rural Australia is, oh, so whereabouts are you from? And it, I guess it's just a, a really initial point of call. If someone asked me now where I'm from, I still don't really know. I think I've lived in that many places since... Um, since school and over the years but to be honest I reckon I probably fabricated it more than what it really was now with the benefit of hindsight looking back to like the way Dave included me like he didn't care that it was Ollie who's just down from Sydney on his school holidays it was Ollie's here because he wants to learn about our business and he wants to contribute and yeah get his hands dirty and help out in the sheep yards and I think yeah probably up until the last maybe 12 months, probably not even 12 months. Like I've kind of really started to embrace the the bit piece that I'm from Sydney because I think it kind of sets me apart from other people in industry. I've fully chosen a career in agriculture. I could have done any career. I could have gone down any path, but I, I guess from a young age, ag kind of found me and I fell in love with it. And so it's an industry which, yeah, I, I guess I'm in control somewhat of what the destiny is and I'm kind of just I'm not tied to the family farm or the family business or whatever it is I I can jump around and experience things and try different industries and and really work out kind of what makes me tick and what contribution I can have so in terms of that imposter syndrome of not being from a farm but getting involved in agriculture like I embrace it now it's a real point of difference and a conversation starter See, now I wish you could see my smile because I share that with you. I'm from Adelaide and, you know, there are moments where someone does ask you, oh, you know, where are you from and where's your family from? You do have that almost panic moment where you're like, oh, I'm not from a farm. And I think you're right though and I needed to hear that because we are in charge of where we take it and how we do contribute. From your perspective, why is it so important that there are people like you and me and why is it so important that we encourage people from a range of backgrounds to enter into agriculture? I think from my perspective, like the agriculture industry, that if you can think of any career or job, and I guess just peeling that back, let's say rural and regional Australia and agriculture kind of to um, expand it slightly, but any job or any career that you want and think that you could be pursuing, you can do that in rural and remote Australia, and you can do that in agriculture. So whether it is that you want to go and be involved in social media or marketing, and only the other day I was like, well, you could go and be a podcaster and you can start to build a career in agriculture or a videographer or an agribusiness lawyer. You can go and be the deputy prime minister of Australia 
through agriculture. And yeah, it, it's an industry, which I guess why we need people coming into it from all different backgrounds. And this is the part where I think has been really interesting to see just the, the last 15 years. So the, the first iPhone came out in, oh, I think it was 2007. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't get my first. <laughs> it's scary, isn't it? Oh, and you think the evolution. <laughs> I better fact check that. It was 2007 or 2009, but one of them. I think it was 07. And within five years, I was working in an ag tech startup, which was an app on a phone. Like the developers we had had no agriculture background. And that business and that idea didn't exist seven years earlier. So if we look at just how quickly the world has moved and how quickly agriculture has moved. And now we start to see the conversations around food waste and climate and feeding people food, which is healthy and nutritious. Like the world's biggest problems are coming off the back of food and fiber production. And if we look at the world's biggest challenges and opportunities, there's real potential to solve that in food and fiber production and, and the supply chain. So I think that's what really excites me. We're in an industry that's globally relevant. You can go from the back of Burke to boardrooms in Collins Street in Melbourne and some of the most powerful people in business and in our country are involved in agriculture and they're looking more and more towards it to address some of society's really big and systemic problems. So if there's a city kid out there sitting in a classroom or um, you know, at home and thinking about agriculture as a career, what would be your advice to them? Just get in, get in and have a go. I guess I'm kind. Of, I still feel like that that city kid that wants to go and try a bunch of different things in agriculture, and I never got the chance to go and work on a cattle station in the Northern Territory. But that's something which I'd love to do, and I haven't actually worked in aquaculture, but that looks like such a fascinating industry. And I guess my stint in horticulture kind of yeah was, was from the office and logistics point of view. But I think agriculture in all its glory, from in the paddock to in creative roles, there's a career and an opportunity here. And certainly don't go at it thinking that that first job or that first idea that you want to try is probably going to be the end goal, but go in with an open mind, try things and uh, yeah, get out there and, and experience it for yourself. So changing pace slightly, but not too much. We talk or there is this divide that is talked about between city and country. What's your take on that? I know it's a pretty big topic, but do you see that that is an issue that we have? I guess my first point around that, like I'm really conscious with that word of divide because as soon as we start talking about a divide, you kind of only grow in that division that may exist. I'd say there's a, a real connection piece which has been lost over the last few generations and, and I think the stats from the National Farmers Federation, it's going back a couple of years, but from 2017 was that 83% of Australians listed their connection to farming as distant or non-existent. So there's a real lack of connection there. I think off the back of that too, 57% of Australians had had no contact with a farmer in the previous 12 months. But then I think you start to look at the food trends and people are looking at where food's coming from and how it's produced and they're, they're genuinely interested in it. I think maybe where that disconnection starts to roar its head is that as an industry, agriculture talks or is looking to talk with our kind of our city cousins in what's happening with cows and sheep in paddocks. And if we start to actually 
shift that conversation and talk to them about what's happening when they're interacting with the food. So it's not just the cow in the paddock doing this. It's actually, well, that meal on your plate, which has come from, if we choose, say, meat and three veg, well, the asparagus has come from Kui Rup. The steak has been grass-fed out on in southwest New South Wales. You've then got potatoes and, uh, and onions out of South Australia, like this real story which can actually come to the plate and can get quite exciting. And I guess that's where I want to come into it is actually who are those people behind it? And from the point of view of I think people are actually genuinely interested in what happens in agriculture. I just think the the language and how we actually talk about it is probably where we may fall over. If we look at probably the best example of regenerative agriculture, it seems like it is the first time in a very, very long time where the agriculture industry, particularly livestock producers, is talking in a way that is really easy to understand. And so someone in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane or wherever it is can actually understand, well, regenerative agriculture is about creating healthier soils and more nutritious food from the healthier biodiversity that you're creating in that ecosystem that you're farming. And you can really start to paint a picture purely just off using the word regenerative. And I think, yeah, what really excites me about those practices is actually what comes off of the back of that. And that's, yeah, being able to paint the picture of what is happening in agriculture and and in a way that people can actually start to understand it. So busting a few more myths and breaking down a few more barriers, because I agree this divide term that we use is only creating a divide, but to many people from the outside looking in, it could be seen that agriculture is just farmers. But as you mentioned before, there are so many more roles along the supply chain. So tell me about humans of agriculture and what you're aiming to achieve with it. If I peel back the layer of kind of what started humans of agriculture, it was actually, I was looking back, oh, must have been 12 months ago at my very first kind of scholarship applications I was doing for Marcus Oldham. And it's funny you use that word, uh, the divide, because that was exactly how I referenced it back then in 2013 was that I wanted to get this scholarship to address what was the city-rural divide and connect people in the city to it. Funny how things kind of follow you and they've just, I don't know, you all of a sudden one day stumble out and they're like, oh, actually... The, the purpose and, and what I set out to do back then all those years ago isn't actually that different to what we're doing. So what really spurred on the creation of Humans of Agriculture was based off what Brandon Stanton had done with Humans of New York, which was basically just profiling and putting faces behind New York City. And I thought, well, we could definitely do that in agriculture. And it's kind of globally relevant. So you can put all kinds of different faces. And so I kind of had this big lofty idea of yeah making the world a happier healthier and more prosperous place through agriculture and then it kind of really hit home in 2019 i was in south africa and south africa is an incredible country i'd never been over there before but kind of driving through and you see just the difference that exists from extreme poverty to extreme affluence and how they can coexist and our taxi driver there one day he was a fella from zimbabwe and we got talking he was talking about his life goal and he was driving the taxi in Cape Town to then send money back to his family in Zimbabwe. And, and what they wanted to do was get some chooks, get a cow. And they essentially wanted to be subsistence farmers. And I guess I was sitting there and I was like, far out. In Australia, we've got such a, such a privileged view of what agriculture is. Like this guy, literally his life ambition is he just wants to be able to create food 
so he can sustain himself and his family. And and here we are talking about at the time seemed like just going round and round in circles in terms of alternate proteins and and traditional proteins. And what I wanted to do with humans of agriculture was actually really start to draw perspective on on what's happening out there, kind of doing a full circle. The evolution of what I set out to do with with it was to start taking photos and writing stories. And then in the beginning of 2020, it evolved into doing the podcast and sharing stories of people who are positively influencing the world through their involvement in food and fiber. And that's exactly how I defined what a human of agriculture was. And starting to have those conversations with all kinds of people. And now, hopefully, we're on the cusp of kind of the next evolution of that, which is actually going down the path of doing more video and, yeah, starting to really not just talk about things, but show people what happens out there, not just in the paddock, but right across the supply chain. And anyone who's producing, moving or consuming food, if if they're doing it in a way that they're hoping to have a positive influence on the world around them, then I view them as a human of agriculture. There's a phrase that I've heard from you, how can you be what you can't see? Do you think this comes from your background and coming from the city and, and opening up who we are as an industry so that people can join it? Yeah, I think so. And I think we see it in in different avenues. I know well, just in a in a business context, there's there's a real push for people to and politics to show women in, in those leadership roles. But yeah, from an agriculture point of view, and I guess this is where I really want to start to play in as part of this evolution and, and showing what the different roles are. I think on a piece of paper and a recent podcast guest, Liv Borden, put it really well. She's an agronomist out of Northern Australia. And she basically just said that if you're someone who's talking about that we want to put less chemicals on paddocks and we need to create food or fiber in a way that's more nutritious, but is doing it in a way that is good for the environment. Well, then a career as an agronomist is is a role where every single day you can have a real influence on the environment. You can have an influence on what chemicals are going on people's paddocks. And I guess the end result of that is creating an ecosystem and food and fiber that is produced in a more sustainable and and in a way that's more healthy for the environment. The next piece that we really need to show is what is an agronomist and how do we show that to people who are talking about things they care about, which is around sustainability and it's the environment and it's about clothing and feeding people. But how do we show them that all of those things that they actually really care about, that's definitely possible in agriculture. That's the piece which when it comes to showing people so they can see it. And one part of the podcast is trying to bring in those everyday people. So it's like, well, yes, we can go and talk with CEOs and influential people in the industry, but we can also talk to Munro, who three years ago was a chopper pilot in Northern Australia and is now working in an ag tech startup. Or we can talk with um, Emma, who's now working in marketing for an agriculture company and we can start to make it those people relatable to people who are just a few years behind them and I think that's how we really start to bring systemic change into the industry where people can actually see wow that could be me in a few years so there are a couple of stories your goal I understand is 10,000 stories yeah because I thought a thousand <laughs> would be too easy <laughs> <laughs> so why not go 10 <laughs> where are yeah. you up to and what's been your favorite so far Big questions, Annie. Favourites. Sorry, put you on the spot. <laughs> it's like picking a favourite child. Yeah, it's not possible. No, I think um, 
if I was to say, we're at, we're at about 200 stories, so we've got a long way to go. But I think. And you thought a thousand would be too easy. Well, at, at this rate, I'd be able to achieve it in five <laughs> years. So, yeah. There's no I shortage better, um, of stories. No, there's not. To be honest, the biggest barrier is, is the time it takes to chat with people and do it in a way that, yeah, there's no no time limit. I kind of don't walk into one of these stores and be like, okay, we've got 15 minutes, let's start talking and then it's out. It, yeah, it can take two and a half hours to record a podcast or it can take 20 minutes kind of thing. It just Sometimes you sit there and you're just completely engulfed in what people are saying. But in terms of a, a favourite story, I'm just going to say my very first one because <laughs> I think the guy that I chatted to was Mark Lebroy. He's a founder of Three Blue Ducks. It wasn't actually the interview or anything like that which really stands out. It was more that it was probably one of those critical times where I'd talked about something for a very long time and then that interview with Mark was actually the beginning of what now is the chapter of of what Humans of Agriculture is today. And yeah, it's, it took quite a few people to push me. I kind of, through the social media accounts and whatnot, I sat on the side for a long time, literally the first eight months, and I I didn't really feature myself or talk about it. And then I got a gentle shove from Brian O'Casey, kind of looping back to that piece around mentors and, and people who, yeah, are, are role models for you. Brian is definitely one of them. And I remember it, I was, <laughs> I was in, in my kitchen and, and we'd been texting back and forth and her message just said, well, just go and stop talking about it. Like every leader, when they want to implement change has grappled with the thought of imposter syndrome or should I, or shouldn't I do it? The consequences are kind of unknown. And yeah, Mark's story was kind of the, the tipping point where it was like, okay, like I'm finally putting my money where my mouth is. And yeah, I, I really do care about this industry. And I think the stories of people are ones that are really important to get out there. So let's go and do it. How can the rest of us get involved within the industry in helping to tell these stories? There's obviously a lot of podcasts out there now, a lot of great social media accounts as well. I know you've spoken to Sam Johnston. We've spoken to him as well. He's trying to do some great things. But within the broader industry, how can we get involved? The big thing which really stood out to me with humans of agriculture and I guess the learning curve, I was like, oh, I'm just going to go out and share stories of people involved in agriculture. And that's like getting people to share their story is going to be the easy part. It's going to be just actually then achieving that connection between ag and the broader community. I actually think probably the biggest thing we can do is in, if you know someone, because it, sometimes it's hard to throw your hand up yourself, but if you know someone who has a story worth sharing and absolutely everyone has a story. I think quite a few times I hear people be like, oh, my story's not good, but there's something unique about absolutely everyone. And I think as an industry, we're incredibly good at keeping an eye out for our friends at different times, but I think we can do a little bit better with pushing the boundaries and, and getting out of our comfort zone. So if you've got a friend or a colleague or someone out there who can be just an everyday person who is relatable to other people, then encourage them to to take up the opportunity to have a chat on a podcast or share their story. I guess going back to your point around who's been my favorite guests or or kind of what the, the outcome is, I think probably some of the people who have had the most profound impact on myself as an interviewer 
have been the people that like, oh, I just, if, if one person listens to this podcast and my takeaway, whether it's on mental health or it's on live export or something, and if one person can take something away from it, then I feel like this conversation has been truly worthwhile. Then I think if you go in with the mindset of all you need to do is influence one person, then profound things can happen from that flow on effect. Which is great for for us as podcasters if we can unearth some of those stories because they're definitely out there. Absolutely, yeah. Recommend a friend. Yeah, <laughs> recommend a friend. I think we should coin that as um one of our hashtags for all our ag podcasts. Absolutely. Usually, <laughs> usually I get to this point in the chat and ask people what they're most excited about for the future in agriculture, but I feel like you and I could do a whole nother episode on that. So. What about the future for you? What's next? It's a really good question. I think for me at this stage, I've kind of actually, I've been involved with a couple of boards over the last few years. I'm actually scaling back my volunteering in industry, which is something, wasn't a decision I actually took lightly at all, but it was that I I wanted to probably do less things, but with more focus. Yeah. In terms of humans of agriculture, I think it kind of feels like this is hopefully just the beginning and yeah, we can really start to share some incredible stories and, and really diversify where I see it. If we look at how agriculture is portrayed in mainstream media, there's a bunch of different organizations that work with companies to portray themselves, but I don't actually think there's a content creation business that has a brand behind it that's living and breathing in agriculture every day. So I really want to position humans of agriculture as a modern media company that lives and breathes agriculture and is able to provide a platform for people who are really addressing some of the world's biggest problems through their involvement in food and fiber. So yeah, what what that looks like at the moment, it's taking a fair bit of time out of my day or evenings actually, because I, I still work full time. But yeah, I guess that's kind of the beauty of having a passion project and something you love. It's yeah, it's time chatting with people and it's just a really enjoyable time. So in other words, we definitely need to have you back for a chapter two follow-up interview. <laughs> I don't know if I'm that interesting, Annie. <laughs> well, it depends. It depends on what on what comes. It sounds like you've got um, some very exciting things planned. Yeah, I guess I've never been short of an idea. Probably the ability to go and execute on those ideas sometimes might come in the way when reality actually hits. But yeah, I think probably something I've really learned over the last two years is, yeah, I kind of had these really big, lofty, ambitious goals of having a global impact through humans of agriculture. And I guess I've refined that somewhat. It's funny when I think about it now that it's been more than two years on this kind of journey and this is where we're at, but I feel like really starting to get momentum and yeah, do something that is going to be really positive for agriculture. So hopefully it's a watch this space and in six months time, Humans of Agriculture might be a household name. So before I let you get back to your Humans of Agriculture work and your crazy ideas, I have one final question <laughs> for you and it's a very important question. When you're out on the farm, what boots do you wear? Yeah, this is a very important question. Luckily, I listened to Kate Burke's one. I don't have hiking boots like Kate. Uh, I've actually <laughs> got a pair of of mongrel lace-up boots is, is my go-to. I don't know if we've had that, that answer, which is, I don't think we've had it before. Really? I'm going to have to check the tally, but I think that's a new one. Okay. Wow. Yeah, well, they're good. Steel caps, game changers. Okay. 
I'll get back to you. I'll, I'll let you know if you're the first. Might be able to start a trend. <laughs> Absolutely. Mongrel work, but it's very comfortable and <laughs> sounds like an ad for them. <laughs> it does. Thank you so much for chatting today, Ollie. I've actually had a really great time and I've read something that you've said before and telling stories in agriculture. It's about unearthing and educating, but it's also about having a laugh. And I feel like we definitely did that today. Yeah, I hope we did. Thanks a lot, Annie. And it's awesome to see Rural Bank getting behind this initiative. And really, yeah, I think the more people that are giving a platform to people involved in agriculture, the better we'll be as an industry. We're certainly, to use a pun, we're, we're no good if we're just operating in silos. So it's awesome <laughs> to be part of this. So thank you. What a great note to finish on. Thanks, Ollie. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Rural Bank. Rural Bank supports the agribusiness community by providing financial services, knowledge and leadership for Australian farmers to grow. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links and other resources, we've added those to the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm Annie Herbert and I'll chat to you next time.